What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. So grateful that you have tuned in for our online service. Before we get into today's message, I want to pray for us. Heavenly Father, you want us to know you. You invite us. So I pray that in these moments we would learn more about you. Uh, and, and in turn, Lord, we would know more about ourselves. So bless us in this moment. Help us to hear your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you were to rewind time about 800 years, if you really wanted to flex on someone, uh, you wouldn't bring up gold or, or silver. What you would really want to do if you wanted to flex on someone is you would show them that you had, that you had a book. Now, 800 years ago, well before the printing press was uh, released and invented, uh, a book would take sometimes up to a year to create. Now, there'd be this one dude named Pierre who would sit in the back room who was a master scribe and for about months or, or even up to a year, day by day, he would go through it and laboriously create and write a book. Now, today, there are Bibles everywhere. There are books everywhere. The modern printing press can now do 30 to 40,000 pages in a single day, and books are relatively cheap. There are Bibles and hotel draws all, all over the place. Today, it's not something that is really that expensive or valuable, just their innate goods. Now, why do I say that? Because in so many ways, we have made tremendous progress in the way that we produce things. We can produce books and car doors and um, tablets and all these different things at a blisteringly fast pace. The challenge that that presents to you and I is that sometimes we tend to think that our spiritual lives should also follow the same curve, that growth in our lives should be happening something should be happening instantaneously, or they should be something that we can just turn on and off, or that we can crank out mass production in our lives in a day. Now, that's really dangerous to think about because growth does not happen that way. And in all of the conversations that I have, and even the conversations that I have with myself, so often I'm discouraged because growth is not happening at the pace that I want it to occur. I want us to turn our attention to some words from scripture from Jesus that I hope will redirect our attention and our focus to what growth should look like, not just in us, but also in this moment that we are in. Last week, we talked about justice and all the things that need to happen in us and through us in order to be a people who see God's justice happen in this world. And what I would hate for us to believe is that just because we have heard some inspiring words, that now we can just flip the switch and it will happen tomorrow. So Jesus tells us these words in Luke 13, and he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in his branches. Again, he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until, it was, until all of it was leavened. Now, God growing on the inside of you, or God growing through your efforts, is something that Jesus likens to a seed. It starts off in small, insignificant ways, and it's something that doesn't um, have immediate production, but it is powerful. Here's a couple of things about growth that we can deduce from Jesus's parable here about what the kingdom of God is like. Now, although the present realization of the kingdom might appear insignificant, like a little mustard seed, it is not insignificant. As we talk about justice, and as we think about the things that we are going to give our hands to, to do, it might look insignificant, but what we're told is that the kingdom of God, 
God's activity, God's life, God's way, uh, God's desires for our lives personally and also corporately in this world, they start off in insignificant ways. That they are not these explosive big things from the outset, but they are still powerful. So even though it's, uh, in, its, in its inception, it might look a little insignificant, the power is real. The power of a mustard seed is profound and it's real, even though it doesn't look like it's real. What Jesus says in this parable is that this mustard seed that a man sows in his garden, it grows and becomes a tree and it becomes, as it says in Matthew 13, the largest tree all around. So it might start off insignificant, but the power is real. And here's the thing that I want us to get for today. That power takes time to manifest. That power takes real time to manifest. So last week we talked about justice, what it is, how you and I do it in our lives, how you and I can be people of justice. And if you didn't catch that one, uh, it would take me a half an hour to, to summarize all that was said. So I really encourage you to go back and listen to that, to that message about what justice is and how we can do it. But for today's purposes, I want us thinking that what God wants to accomplish in you and through you, it might start off in a way that seems insignificant, but the power of God through you and in you is real, and it will take time to manifest. Now, this is true for justice, but it's also true for just our day-to-day -day spiritual life and our spiritual rhythms. One of the things that I talk to so many people about is a frustration in where they are in their spiritual lives that they just feel like they're not moving as quickly as they would want to, that I've been coming to Renaissance or I've been watching services for two months and I, and I still don't feel like I have arrived. And here's my words to you. What starts off as seemingly insignificant has a real power inside it if it's God, but that power is gonna take time to manifest. Now, the reason that this is so important for us, particularly if we wanna be a church that is committed to justice, is that there are a number of things that we need operating in us uh, in order to truly see what God wants us to see. And one of these things is patience, not just with ourselves, but also with others. Another thing is endurance, that we need the type of spiritual lives that can go the long haul, not people who are trying to undo 400 years of racism and oppression in one week. And we also need grace, grace for ourselves and also grace for other people. Now, since change does not happen instantaneously, since real growth does not happen instantaneously, we need to be people who give grace to ourselves and grace to other people who are on the journey. Now, here's something that's really powerful about what Jesus is saying in this parable as he talks about uh, the kingdom of God being like this, this mustard seed. Now, we should have patience because you never plant and reap immediately. You never plant a seed and reap in the same season. There are seasons to spiritual growth. There are seasons to uh, God's purposes being accomplished in this world. The first thing you do is you plant it and you bury it. And if you were to go out the next day, you would not see anything happening. But just because you cannot see something happening does not mean that there is nothing happening. That beneath the surface, there is a life-giving process happening and occurring, and eventually it will bring forth fruit. Now, in addition to patience, I also want us to have endurance. And it's really important that we get Jesus's words and take those into our hearts because without it, we won't have endurance. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Galatians 6 and 9, the scripture about endurance, and he says, let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Listen to what Paul is saying here. He's saying a number of things. Number one, he's saying implicitly there will be a delay in our efforts and our achievements. So we should not get tired. 
Secondly, he's saying we will reap at the, the proper time. There is a time uh, that we will see the results of our efforts, but that time is certainly not immediately. And Paul continues in verse 10, he says, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, many people have reached out and many people are more committed now than ever to be people who are anti-racist, to be people who are, are, are people of justice, committed to God's causes. And in our life, in your efforts right now, we desperately need endurance to go the long haul. Again, we are not going to undo 400 years of something in a week or two. Now, I also want this to give you grace, not just to yourself, but also to other people. Now, if you're like me, uh, I struggle way more with giving myself grace than anyone else. I just kind of believe that I should be farther along in this journey than I am. I should be more disciplined. I should be making better decisions. I should be a more just person and a more just leader than I am right now. And Jesus's words to us remind us that change happens uh, in seasons. It doesn't happen immediately. Real organic change doesn't happen immediately. There is a difference between us having information and transformation. And transformation happens in a process. A few years ago, I was talking to a friend of mine in my community group, and he described what it was like to have apple trees where he grew up. Uh, on his uh, farm where he grew up, there were a number of apple trees, and it took a while for them to grow to even produce fruit. And even once they produced fruit, uh, that they had apples growing on them, it took about five years for those apples to actually be edible. So there's this long process of them growing from a seed to a tree, and then they're finally producing fruit, and that fruit is not even good at first. That might be what Jesus is talking about in our lives right now, that it takes a long time for us to grow, to even have fruit in our lives, something that, that is evident of God's working in our lives. And that first batch might not even be that good, but it is still real, and we need to take Jesus's words to heart. There's a big difference between information and transformation, and Jesus wants us to be committed to the long road of transformation. So as I was thinking about this, I was trying to understand what is the best way for us to understand this process of transformation. There's been a number of thinkers who have talked about this in, in great deal and in great length. Uh, one of these uh, people was a man named Benjamin Bloom. He was uh, an educational psychologist and with a team of other thinkers, he developed a really brilliant understanding that describes how you and I move along this transformation process. And here's what he says. He says, we tend to think in one of two ways. I know something or I don't know something. So if someone starts talking about something that you've heard before, you mistakenly tune out a little bit and just say, yes, 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 I know that already. Now, we put, tend to put things in these two camps, either I know it or I don't know it. But the question that I have for you today is not what you know, but how has what you know actually transformed your life? There's a lot of things that I know and those truths have not made their, their way from my head to my heart or down to my feet into my hands. There's a big difference between information and transformation. So Bloom describes this transformation process in five steps. Um, and again, this is not uh, an absolute thing, but I think it's a helpful way for us to understand how transformation could happen in our lives. And here's what he talks about. Um, generally speaking, for us to really get something and for to be transformed by it, uh, it moves from awareness and awareness is just when you become aware to something and you know what something is. Uh, you learn a new piece of information. It goes from awareness to curiosity, where you start to think about how you, how you can apply that truth to your life. It moves from curiosity to, to value. And value is where you start to take small steps in the direction of change. 
It moves from valuing to prioritizing. And now you're not just dabbing around in it a little bit. You're now prioritizing this piece of information to orient and structure your life. And the last one is ownership, where this is a thing that you structure all of your entire life around. And now moving from awareness to ownership takes some time. I was thinking in one of the, the best ways that this has happened in my life is um, in something called rest and Sabbath. Uh, when I first started becoming a pastor, uh, I really had no off switch. And I would work seven days a week, every single day, my computer was open till super late at night, and I was becoming absolutely miserable. I heard a sermon about the need for rest and to stop and to spend at least 24 hours in, any, in every single week not working so I could remind myself that I was a human being, not a human doing. And in that 24 hours, I would have fun and just remind myself that I am a beloved child of God, not just someone who always needs to crank out work. So I heard the sermon and I became aware of my need for a Sabbath. The next stage was curiosity. And I started to think about, well, how can I actually put this into my life? And what day would I do? And how can I arrange my time so that I can make sure I hit this goal? And then I moved from that to, to valuing. And now I started to say, you know what? Friday uh, from noon to Saturday at noon is gonna be my time. And I'm gonna put this into practice and hopefully uh, I'll see some progress and some growth in my life. And for the first couple of months, I started doing it you know, every other week or a couple of times a month when I can fit it in. And I, I started to see the progress and the growth. And moved from valuing to prioritizing. Now I'm seeing that my life is just not the same if I'm not rested. Uh, there's a piece of my soul that just feels violated when I work through my Sabbath. Uh, there's, a, there's a piece of me that just recognizes immediately that I'm, I'm dishonoring God by just continuing to work because now I see my continual work is a sign that I don't trust God. I don't trust God that he's in control, so Jordan feels like he needs to be in control. So now I have prioritized my life in such a way that with very rare exceptions, I don't work um, for 24 hours a week. Sometimes it's noon and noon, sometimes I'll rearrange it to make sure that I hit that goal. And the last one is ownership, and that's my entire life. The way we structure our church is, is centered around this truth that we as people need periods of rest. Now, in the six years that I have gone from being aware of that to owning it, I have learned very new information. I haven't heard any new truths that were more brilliant than the ori original truths that I heard six years ago, but over time, that has grown from a mustard seed to a giant tree in my life. And if you know me, and if you deal with me on a day-to-day -day basis, you know that me and my wife spend a day a week where we don't work. Sabbath is something that has become a part of our lives, and we will structure everything else around it. Now, the process of how you and I become people of justice, not just this punitive justice, but also this restorative justice that play a part in the thriving of our neighborhoods, of our city, of our world, it might follow a similar trajectory that it might not happen overnight. God might just be sowing seeds in us that take time and years to develop. The things that we put our efforts and attention to, they might not happen overnight, but we're reminded to keep doing good and not give up in the process. So what, that, what might that look like for us as we think about this concept of justice uh, the first stage is this awareness. Now, when I was thinking about this, there are really two groups of, of people. Uh, for some of us with chocolate skin, we've been aware for a very long time about the problems of race and racism in America. However, for some of us, all we really have is just an awareness still. 
It hasn't really made its way into our lives in deep ways. And in some ways, all we are doing is projecting our awareness on other people. Again, it might not be really shaping our lives uh, in, in any significant way. And I think the first thing for us to do is to consider how much has this truth really shaped and oriented our lives beyond just what we say. Now, there's another group uh, that are just becoming awake and aware to the depths of systemic injustices and systemic racism. And I'll be honest, my, my first impulse is to be a Pharisee. And who are the Pharisees? They were these religious leaders who had their, you know, their chests all poked out and they thought they were better than other people. And that's my first impulse is to be a Pharisee and look down on people who it's taken them this long to wake up. Out of all the things that have been happening, out of all the things that have been said, now you finally are uh, waking up and you want to be invited to the party. Um, and I first have to fight against the impulse to put them down because God has done that for me in so many different areas, not with race, but certainly with other things. As I thought about my journey uh, combating toxic masculinity in my own life, uh, it's taken a long time for me to realize and become aware to how deep that problem is, not just in the world, but also in me. And I, I need grace just as much as the next person. So if you're struggling with that, uh, you know, think about how much you need grace from God in different areas in your life, maybe not just this one. And for those of you who are just waking up, uh, welcome. Don't expect a parade or a round of applause, uh, but welcome. And seriously, now is time to get to work. So first, it's awareness, where we become really aware of what a problem is. And secondly, that moves from awareness to curiosity. And curiosity is the process by which we now internalize this and we think about how does this play out in my life? This past week, I released a guide for us, something that's going to help us go inward, because before we can go outside, we first need to deal with the uh, internalized racist notions and thoughts and ideas that have been nurtured in us since before we could even process what those things were. Now, this is meant to be a beginning into the journey where we become an anti-racist people. Now, I've had a lot of great conversations with a lot of people this week and a lot of white and Asian brothers and sisters who are starting to unearth the depths to which they have been formed generationally. Their parents, their grandparents, their culture, their society has formed them to, uh, to have so many racist ideas and thoughts nurtured in them, and they see it in their day-to-day -day life now, and they're starting that process. But I also don't want our black brothers and sisters to let yourselves off the hook because there is a great deal of internalized racism that we have absorbed in our own lives. There are these racist notions and ideas that have been grown and sown inside of us. And before we can go outside, we first need to go inside. And I cannot recommend enough you doing the hard work of going inside and internalize uh, to think about what is the, the, the depths to which racism has been nurtured in you, black, white, and everything else in between. So first, we need to have an awareness of where we are and the depths to the real problems. Secondly, we need to have this curiosity where we start to go inward and think about how does this apply to us? And now, then we need to move towards valuing. Now, valuing is the part uh, of our lives and our, our journeys where we've been aware, we've done some hard work looking inside, and now we're starting to put things into practice a little bit. Uh, one of my favorite quotes comes from a man named Frederick Douglass. He says, I prayed for freedom for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. Valuing is where you now start to put the things that you're learning into practice. And how does this work for you? Whatever we were talking about last week in terms of how we become a people of justice, 
In some ways, I just want you to see a need and I just want you to do it. So if there is a gift that you have, a burden that's pushing you in a direction or an interaction right in front of your face, I just want you to do it. If there's a godly need that you can fill in a godly way, do it and trust that God will redirect you along the path. One of the truths that we need more than anything is to realize the extent to which Jesus promises us that he is our shepherd. Shepherds don't just hand out a list of instructions to their sheep. Shepherds guide their sheep. And a lot of times we are paralyzed by inaction because we just don't have certainty. And certainty is significantly overrated. What certainty does is it puts us in the driver's seat. But Jesus doesn't call us to certainty. He calls us to obedience. And sometimes the only thing we know to do is the first step right in front of us. So valuing is where we start to apply the truths that God has given us to our real lives, to our hands and to our feet. And we just start moving in that direction. The last or the fourth one rather is prioritizing. And now it's moved beyond just doing that one thing, going to the march or doing something to check it off the list. And now we're starting to prioritize this thing of justice in all of our lives. Now, one of the best ways you can see what you're prioritizing is looking at your bank statement or your credit card statement to see where your money is going. Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us in the scripture that wherever your heart is, your treasure will be there also. And we cannot say that we are really truly prioritizing to be people of justice if our money is not going also in that direction. Look at your credit card statement. Look at your bank statement. To what extent are you investing in the flourishing of all people? I don't want anyone to let ourselves off the hook. God calls us all to be a people of justice. Uh, just this morning, I was reading Matthew 25, and Jesus' words in Matthew 25 are so sobering. He tells us that in the last day, there will be all these sheep and goat, and the shepherd will be separating the two groups. And he says, I'll tell everyone, come, welcome, come, welcome you who are blessed by my father. And he says, you know, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And he said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? And in prison, he says, whatever you have done for the least of these, that also have you done for me. And then he'll turn to a whole other group of people and say, depart from me. When I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. Now, what Jesus says in Matthew 25 is that the litmus test for your, the strength of your relationship with him is not a theological quiz that we show how much we love God by also loving God's people. You cannot tell me that you love me if you don't love my kids. So it's really important to God that we prioritize this in our lives. And some of you are not there yet where you can see that evident fruit of having prioritized it. And I want you to be patient, but just to know and for a little humility to see where we actually are. If we look at our bank statement, if we look at the way we spend our time, have we truly prioritized being a people of justice? And the last step is ownership, where all of your life now is oriented around uh, these truths that God gives us. And we are building our lives around being a people of justice, seeking God's kingdom to come. We say those prayers, Lord, uh, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we're following up with our actions. And here's the beauty of a person who has gotten to ownership. Not only are you really doing a good thing and investing your life in good causes and moving towards God's kingdom coming down here on earth, but you're also the best suited person to walk alongside someone who's earlier in the journey to encourage them because you know how long it's take, how long it's taken, how many times you yourself have, have tripped and fallen and needed grace along the way. And you could be a catalyst for real change for people uh, who are earlier on the journey or not even on the journey yet at all. But there will be a gap 
between awareness and ownership. Might be five years, might be 10 years for you to grow to be this person that God is calling you to be. For us as a church to be the people that God is calling us to be. And in the process, I want us to have patience, endurance, and grace. Not just for ourselves, but for other people. So Jesus presented this parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. What in your life may seem insignificant now is powerful, and it might just take some time for that power to be realized. And in the process, don't give up. Keep doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we do not give up. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, I am grateful for your people that you are, have motivated to be people of justice. I'm grateful for the people who are taking the daring steps to go inward in their lives and dig up some ugly stuff that they would rather leave underneath the surface. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace for ourselves and for others, and you'd give us patience and endurance to be the people that you have called us to be. So Lord, we receive your words for us. We receive your guidance uh, to us in your, in your words that tell us what your kingdom is actually like. So Father, we're so grateful for your words to us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.